Welcome to the return slot of horror. A podcast set in the basement of a video store much like the one from your youth. A place where Mickey, Marika, and Michelangelo hang out after hours, talk about horror films, and can't seem to agree on much other than their love for the genre. So grab a drink, be careful on the stairs, and don't be the last one left in the basement at the end of the night. <laughs> Welcome, listener, to the return slot of horror. A little bit of growl there. Yeah, I put a little horror <laughs> on the end of it, yeah. We are a podcast recorded in the basement of the video store we co-own and operate. After hours, when the doors are locked, the VHSs are rewound, and the moon is glowing pale blue on a brisk and breezy night. We like to hang out in the basement, crack open a drink, and discuss our beloved genre, horror. Horror has... (laughs) Horror. Good boy, good boy. Horror, <laughs> horror has intrigued, disturbed, delighted, aroused, and confused us. We are totally helplessly in love with it. Every episode, we invite you to join us for a drink in the basement as we discuss a film selected from one of our painstakingly curated subsections of the video store. That's right. For the uninitiated or anyone unlucky enough to have grown up without a mom and pop video store, Mickey, can you explain these subsections? Yes, before there was streaming, before there was Blockbuster, you know, you had those independent, independently owned video stores. Now, what made them great was that the the sections could be personalized and curated by those staff. Uh, sometimes I'm sure there are some that would do it by their customers. So we at the Return Slot of Horror want to keep that spirit alive and strong. So we hope you enjoy perusing our sections, listening to the podcast as we talk about the films within those sections, why they belong in those sections, and hopefully joining us in those conversations on Instagram. So this week, we find ourselves in the Mumster Squad section of the video story. That's right. Mom. Mom. Mom or mum? Mom. Momster. Momster, like ma, like mother. Yes, like like mom, like your mom. It's your momster squad. It's your. That sounded like you just did. Like that was a punchline to a joke. Yeah, the momster squad. Yeah, no, the momster yeah. squad. Mom, <laughs> the momster squad. Um. <laughs> so <laughs> was that like a Beatles? Yeah, welcome to the momster. No, that's squad. that's uh, uh the guy from uh, Sons of Anarchy, the the British guy who who uh plays an American on that show, Charlie something. Oh, he yeah. just he would always say mum. Mum. Without you give away his yeah. his uh, anyways. Accent. Yeah. Okay. Mickey, are we film critics? No. Are we film historians? No. <laughs> amateur, amateur <laughs> film historians. There you go. Um, we're we're just humble video store clerks shining a light on our love, thoughts, experiences, and feelings related to the films and uh, that we're talking about and how it affected our lives. Please don't be offended if one of us has questions or perhaps even a critical thought or two on the film we're discussing. It's all coming from a place of love. Um, uh, so before we jump in to tonight's movie, 
Mickey, what are you having to drink? Well, uh, you know, it's warm out. So I'm doing a spicy mango margarita faux pas. Yeah, they're canned. I didn't have time to make up my own little margarita, but but uh, delicious sparkling uh, water with all natural flavors. And tequila is the alcohol. So spicy mango margarita faux pas. Uh, so I got to share this. Mickey, um, I was texting with Mickey and uh, um, I'm like, it's fucking, you know, it's getting, it's like too warm for me. It's springtime and it's already in the 80s. And I'm like, fucking bullshit, global gross. And Mickey's just like, man, it's warm outside. I love it. I'm going to be bike riding and drinking margaritas. And I'm like, fuck, I need to be more like Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm having to so drink. What are you having? I'm having, uh, I couldn't find an, uh, 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 an Olympia beer, right? Uh, okay. uh, predominantly uh, uh, placed, advertised uh, in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll get more into that later, but, uh, uh, so I went with the next best thing and that's a Yingling America's oldest brewery. So just, oldest you know, brewery. it's a, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a warm, it was been a warm day, but it's starting to cool off. We're in the basement where it's already a little chilly, have a nice cold, just like regular lager, you know? Yeah. So tonight. Both ref- both refreshing drinks on a hot yes, day. Yes, that's good. Just just two dudes talking about Monster Squad movies. Monster Squad. Uh, um, so tonight we're talking about 1983's Cujo, based on Stephen King's 1981 novel of the same name, directed by Louis Teague, beautifully shot by the always stellar Jean Debont, and adapted by uh, a first draft by Barbara Turner. And then I believe Don Carlos Dunaway, maybe some other people were involved in, in streamlining Barbara Turner's uh, um, uh, beautifully written but um, very thick uh, first draft adaptation. Um, I, I was I had on a I had on um, read that Stephen King did do do a was he also did a pass. Yeah, yeah. He did. He did a pass as well. And this is in the early days of of Stephen. This is like when it's starting to rev up, where we're like getting them, like they're pumping them out as as much as they can. Um, uh, and Louis Teague uh, uh, directs uh, Cat's Eye a couple of years mm-hmm. later. Um, uh, uh, the film stars everyone's favorite mom from the eighties, D. Wallace, uh, also Daniel, Ooh. yeah, Daniel Hugh Kelly, an amazing seven year old Danny Pinatero. And about ten dogs plus a, plus stuntman Gary Morgan playing the titular character Cujo, um, Mickey. You were yeah. you were so passionate about this movie that you mm-hmm. you wanted you you were like this is in the werewolf werewolf section right? And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. if if you really want it there, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. So I, I gotta know. Could you can you can you sort of like explain the section and like your your yeah. passion behind this movie? Sure. So this has been months in the works for me. Uh, you don't realize this, but if you go back to our text chain and and our conversations about the King Tyrion collection, every time I would volunteer up a movie or two that I thought would be great for the King Tyrion collection, I always slid Cujo in there because I was hoping somebody would bite. No pun intended. 
Um, but nobody <laughs> did. So we did not do it for the King Tyrion collection. <laughs> then you were, you were mentioning movies for our werewolf, werewolf, and of course, Howling is on there. And I couldn't think of the Howling without immediately going right back to where my mind had been, you know, you know, my, it just been marinating in the thought of Cujo. And I was like, well, D. Wallace. I was like, oh, you know, um, the producers are the same for Cujo. I was like, so I just got to get, I got to get Cujo in there. I got to get Cujo in there. And it did not make the cut for there. So I thought, well, we got Mother's Day coming up. And there's nothing better than honoring some great poor leading lady moms mm-hmm. than, than, than to do that around Mother's Day and to especially do that around D. Wallace. And oh, for yeah. me, performance, performance, for me, of D. Wallace's and Cujo, is is above and beyond uh, many horror leading lady performances, and I just love her, and I love this movie, and I I I got a lot to say. Do you want me to just jump into to my love of this movie? Yeah, I I would love I'd love to know like your yeah your history, and then um your history leading into like your your uh your overview of your experience watching it this time. Okay. So to begin with, we've established that my parents were fans of Stephen King. We also established Mm -hmm. that my parents, although from very strict Baptist upbringings, um, religious growing up in the Bible belt, um, for some reason they had an, uh, they had, for some reason, Stephen King had a pass for me as a kid and they let me watch. Lucky lucky you. So lucky no, no. to have yeah. access to Stephen King uh, with the sort of, you know, Southern religious background that you yeah. have. Yeah. So um, so this is when I watched very young. Do not know the time I watched it, but I know the, the emotion I felt after watching it. I I'd probably up to that point never sat through a movie and actually felt exhausted by the end of it, but not mm. exhausted in a way where it was like it was a challenge to watch it, but more of just like I feel like I've been really on a ride here. I feel mm-hmm. really just like I'm just just wore out, you know. And did you did you and, viscerally connect with Danny with uh with Tad? Oh well, sure, of course. When he when like everything like, uh, and not even just in the moments when he's going through his his like most uh, overwhelmed or when he's you know struggling with breathing, not even that stuff, but just like being alone in a car and not knowing what we're doing and waking up in your mom's, you know, with your mom laying next to you, like cuddled next to you, just scared and frightened. Um, the, when he's like, I want my dad, I want my dad. These things just work on a young person. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was, it was, it was very visceral for me. And, and I, and I, this was ET's mom, you know, a few years later, you know, yeah. it's, it's Critter's mom. It's like, this is, this is mom, you know, this is like eighties movie mom. And I just, Loved it as a kid. Then uh, watched. It's one of those that I always watch when it's when it's on uh, one of the you know Turner Classic movies or whatever. Then later, uh, uh, forward ahead, I've, I've watched this now five or six times, whatever. I Molly and I were talking about uh, shooting a film when we were early married, and I said we should watch Cujo because it takes place essentially in a car, and it's really the performance that drives the terror. You know, the dog is scary, but, but really it's, 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 it's the reaction you might say that is the most terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we watched it then and Molly was like, and Molly was as a mom, even, even when we were watching it earlier, she was moved by it. You know, she, she feels it 
viscerally, you know, the, the, what D Wallace is going through. Then years later, we, our son has asthma attacks and and we to the point where we would have to rush him to the ER. And it was very scary for us, you know, and, and, uh, when he'd have really bad, uh, ear infections, we were scared of it going back into, uh, uh an asthma attack. So mm-hmm. we would have to go take him to get shots in his legs. And he was How about old was he at the, the time? age for the shots in the leg. He oh, was probably uh, either a little bit younger than Danny or maybe right at Danny's age. I mean, right around there, but the needles so around him seven. So, bad. So, mm-hmm. so we would have to wrestle him to the ground while the nurses gave him shots in his thighs. And Oof. yeah. And one day uh, he was home from school with uh, a bad asthma attack. And we were sitting there. And I was like, well, let's put on a movie. And he, he, he was, he's fascinated with the scary stuff too. So I was like, oh, Cujo, you'll, you will really like this. It's good. I had not really thought fully through when I, when I told him to watch it as he's sitting home with an asthma attack. But he was glued. <laughs> but, uh, okay. Yeah. He, okay. So he, it was a positive experience for him. I don't know if it was positive, but, it was, but he was glued. He was, he was thoroughly into it as far as just like, I can't take my eyes off of this. Um, connected with it. Because it's a kid going through something that he doesn't understand, and he's just reaching out for his mom. He's asking for anybody to help. You know, for, he needs help. The mom needs help. He, it, it, there's something very interesting about when you watch a mother struggle through these things with with the son. Any parent struggles through something with the son, because especially watching your son watch it, because you're trying to be so brave that you hope they don't notice. Yeah. But when your son is watching a movie, watching her go through the same things as the kid goes through it, it there is a connection that that is made where he's like, "Wow, this is really hard for everybody. This is not just you know." Mm-hmm. So. So that was really, and it, he still talks about me having him watch that while he was like, oh man, I'm, I hope I don't have an asthma attack. <laughs> He's like, you guys are going to, you know. Um, uh, but didn't scare him away from dogs at all. But he was, he was really into it. So I just really love it. And um, on this watch, I, I challenged myself because um, I said, I, I know the obvious reasons I like it, right? Seeing as a kid, connecting with the kid. Seeing Dee Wallace as a parent, connecting with her as a parent. Her performance to me, is I really think a wonderful performance. Uh, but I, I said to myself, what is it? Because this film does more than just that. It's not just D. Wallace and the performance. I really love this film. And I know that it was panned by a lot of people when it came out. Siskel and Ebert thought it was trash, you know? Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I forced myself to sit down and write out my thoughts. And this is my, this I'm going to read to you, kind of my thesis of Cujo 1983. Yeah, please do. And understand this is my personal opinion, okay? Yes. Uh, obviously, yeah. to, to the listener, spoilers, but also everything's just like, like we explained at the beginning. It's, it's, this is filtered through us, right? So mm-hmm. it, it is, this does not make it absolute. Our opinions are not absolute. They're just mm-hmm. our, our opinions um, uh, through the filter of like admiration usually. Um, yes. Uh, but yeah, like let's hear it. Okay. I believe that if this film were the original source material of this story, this film would be heralded as a groundbreaking indie masterpiece on the level of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Here's why I think the movie is brilliant. It says, hey, our protagonist is going to be a mom that's at the end of an affair with the couple's best friend in the early 80s without giving her any exposition dump for her reasoning. Was she repressed? Was she bored? Was she actually in love? Who knows? And then in the movie, just as in real life, a series of circumstances leaves this woman in a fight or flight nightmare 
making the the domesticity of modern marriage and civility of the atomic family feel like a pleasantry that seems foreign in a world of brutality and primal war between a man and a beast. And on top of all of this, we want you to keep us on the edge of our seat as half the movie takes place in a car on a hot day. And oh yeah, make the antagonist man's best friend, a giant teddy bear St. Bernard beloved by his middle school owner. Do that with the film, keep an audience engaged, and make it good. And I don't see how anybody could pull that off. But he does, in a really good way, in a visceral way. Like once you're in the car with them, you're in the car with them, and and it is a ride. So I think that there is something really brilliant in this movie. A lot of people sometimes say that she's a woman in, uh, I can't remember what the actual phrases but you know when you put a woman in distress you know mm-hmm. but it's i think that's that. it that's it i think that's but, usually what what said yeah, yeah woman in distress but, but it's more than that you know it's like she starts off as like a, a a a soft character that you neither for me this is all me for me i neither yeah. love nor hate but i am kind of frustrated with because I, I her husband seems to be a pretty good guy a pretty good provider and she's doing this and and you know there's just something about her that feels like a real person like like a real mom has like i think there's something about we take moms and we take away their sexuality a lot but we make her kind of you know sexy in a way and we she's like her or not or what her her circumstances are she ends up being just a fully rounded character for me. And she is a hero at the end. And I just, I think she is incredible. I just think she's incredible. I I, I would argue one thing in what you're saying, and that is taking away the sexuality of our moms. I think Brazzers and the rest of internet porn would disagree with you, but but beautifully put. (laughs) But, you know, I guess guess when I think of like, you know, I heard Dee Wallace one time in an an interview talking about uh, her career. And she was like, one day she woke up and everything that was offered to her was a mom. And she was like, I want to be, she's like, I want to be sexy. I want to be desired. I want to be, I want to be so many more things. And, but I'm just getting these pretty typical moms. Yeah. So she was always jumped at the chance to bring something that wasn't just her mom vibe. And, um, and a lot of times when she stepped away from horror and not played a mom, it didn't do well. So she kind of knew where her money was, right? So she's like, Hey, I'm going to keep, you know, you got to work, but there's something just, I think in this film where D Wallace is kind of being able to stretch herself and they don't, they don't dabble in a ton of dialogue. This isn't a movie that's like rich with like ideas. They're, they're necessarily presenting orally. But I think there's a lot of ideas that can be presented to you to make your own assessment about. And I think it, I think in many ways, I think that I think time will still tell on this film, hopefully. Mm-hmm. And it won't just be reduced to scared woman in a car, you know, who's waiting to be yeah. saved and then finally has to save herself. Or or a woman finds herself in this car because she's she's a cheater. Because I never felt that when I watch it. I never feel like She's in the circumstances because she's bad. I always right, always saw it as this is just this is the way life is. Life happens like this. That that's interesting. You know? That that that's particularly interesting because if we if we watch this through the lens of a conventional horror movie rules, right? She's being punished for her infidelity, 
right? right? And the fact that that doesn't occur for you. And it also didn't really occur to me as well. Um, uh, but I do feel that that is something that like a lot of people viewing it would, 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 would view through that lens, through those, through the rules. Right. But, mm-hmm. but uh, right. I, I think through our individual circumstances, mm-hmm. viewing this and our experiences with it, we both, even though they're completely different, we both came to view it without that feeling of she's being punished. And I think that's yeah. pretty interesting. Yeah. Hello. Yeah, I'm here. I'm. I'm no, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I, I, I agree. I just, I, I think that, um, and I've watched this m- multiple, multiple times, and I, and I'm a very, like, I'm aware of, like, I, I'd 100% see what, see what people would say, and I, I understand. I just don't. I've never gotten that from this movie and I always walk away with such deep admiration for Donna and for D for both. So maybe it's what she brings to the character for who Donna for Don Donna and who? Well, well, Donna, the, the character and D the actress admiration for both. Oh, okay. D D. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm so used to hearing D Wallace that you said D and I was like, who's D in the movie? <laughs> I thought you'd yeah. like were mispronouncing Tad or something. Um, but okay. Yeah. And I, I think this kind of also like really explains why you wanted to, to spend multiple weeks, like honoring your mother, mothers, mothers, mothers in the world, your wife, yeah. your, your, your mom, like moms in the world. Yeah. Right. Moms are, moms they, are awesome. And they are also complicated and like all things they are, you know, listen, if there's anything I, I can do, I can, I can explain to you what being a mom is like. <laughs> this is, I did think like, like it, uh, for the constant listener, you, you'll know that uh, um, either Molly or Marika uh, is usually on the podcast. Um, this is your first time listening. These are two women associated with the podcast. One of them is a mother, um, and one of them is, uh, one of them is a mother and a spouse. Uh, that's not all she is. Obviously, she's also the voice of the podcast and many things. She's wonderful. And then the other one, Marika, is our co-owner of the video store and a spouse and a wonderful, uh, an amazing artist. And we yeah. we love her. Front front, um, front woman of the band Latwat. Yes, uh, on tour. That's why she's not here. But I did think it was like uh, particularly funny that our circumstances led us to talk, to start talking about a section about mobs and we have no women <laughs> to talk about with this film. <laughs> yeah, you know, you, you know, I, I love moms. They make me breakfast. They, uh, they do my clothes. Uh, moms, uh, moms are great. You know, uh, what else do you need to know about moms? Yeah. You know, yeah. I yeah. don't know why I did the accent. I gotta stop doing accents. No, that's that's all fine. I I, I didn't find it insulting at all. Um, okay. <laughs> no, I I really didn't. <laughs> so how does this how does this movie rank for you compared to Teen Wolf as far as sweaty? <laughs> I would say I would say Teen Wolf is, is sweatier. I I agree. <laughs> Still a little more sweaty. Um. Uh, so my my history with the movie um, is that I have 
no history except for the last few weeks um mickey oh, okay. talked yeah so i never saw this and i wish i had when i was a kid because i think it really would have fucking like hit me hard and it would have like left a mark on me it was similar similarly to the to the way it left a mark on you um so you had mentioned this we it's been talking since we've been doing the king Tyrion section and if you're a new listener go back listen to our king Tyrion section um a lot of good films in there um and i was very excited because i've never seen the movie and i've never read the book and i am i've read a lot of stephen king and i love watching adaptations and this is a movie i actually own a friend of mine gave me a copy uh, of this uh, of the DVD when he was transitioning all of his uh, home collection to uh, Blu-ray at the time. This was uh, many years ago, um, and I just never watched it, uh, and I never read it. And then this was the perfect occasion for it, so I was desperate to read it before we recorded it. And because it's a for Stephen King, a relatively short novel. It's under four hundred pages. Um, and which is short for Stephen King, I, I I like crammed through it, and it probably had an effect on. It most definitely had an effect on my viewing experience. Sure. I think typically when you read a book, it's best to have a little distance between the book and the film. There's sure. rare exceptions, but I I think that's a pretty good um, rule of thumb. Uh, I loved the book. Uh, and I'll give you my thoughts on the book and I won't go too much. This, this won't become a podcast about the book versus, uh, the film, but the, some stuff will come up. Um, I wasn't like in love with the film, which kind of like, it's always upsetting when you watch a movie and you're like, I really want to like this. And then it's like, right. I, I didn't have a bad experience. It was very, it was definitely entertaining. Uh, there were like, the, the film was technically innovative and beautifully shot with some amazing moments and performances. Um, I did feel that this was like a broad strokes adaptation of the book, which was very necessary, especially to get it at like an hour 32. Um, and I understand and can sympathize with the challenges and struggles that the filmmakers had in the time period that they made this. So I, I, I can sort of like view it through that lens and like not be harsh and just enjoy the things that I enjoyed about it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that uh, um, uh, what the book does brilliantly is fluctuate between all of the characters in the story. Mikujo is as much about charity you know who charity is right i'm gonna i'm gonna like go through all the names you're and and hopefully everyone's familiar with them but um charity is is cujo's owner owner's mom okay um so this this it's just as much about charity struggle as a spouse and a parent Mm -hmm. and a woman Mm -hmm. living in a man's world as it is about donna's and it's just as much about joe chamber right cujo's Cujo's uh, a man, as, mm-hmm. as he referred to in the book, it's just as much about Joe and Steve's ego and masculinity as it is about yeah. Vic's, right? And it's it's right. just as much about Brett and Cujo's growing pains and stolen youth life as it is about Tad's. Um, right. You know, so spoilers for the books too, because we're we're gonna get mm-hmm. into this. Um, 
uh, uh, because Tad, Tad in the book doesn't make it, and we'll we'll, yeah, we'll, yep. we'll get into that. It's a big difference. Um, and and of course, it's about the town and all of its little characters mm-hmm. that play a larger part in the grand scheme of life's unknowable twists and turns. It's it's the book is to me. It's about all of the things unsaid between people in a relationship. It's about how scary growing up can be. It's about imagined monsters and real monsters mm-hmm. and about our mortality and our place in the world. It's about missed opportunities and what would have happened if you had just left when you first had the chance. What if you had been a little faster, a little stronger? What if you didn't sleep in? What if you didn't get caught up in a stupid conversation? What if you'd been able to grow and understand how truly splendid life is here in the present in this moment without having to go through some great tragedy and i I think it's about communicating with your loved ones right you you only have one life and you only have a certain amount of time here and you only have a certain amount of time with the people you love and i the book encompasses all of those things in like a really wonderful way and Again, for King to put all of that into 400 pages is a pretty streamlined story for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, you just can't fit all of that into this movie. Um, yeah. But you get the broad strokes of it. I think it does a good job of the broad strokes. And like, man, when they are in the car, they, they do a good job setting up, we care about these people. And mm-hmm. their chemistry... D. Wallace and Danny uh, Pinatero, uh, oh, it's so good. He's, I, I could have sworn. A, he's so cute. He's so cute. So adorable. And he's, he's, and he's very talented. Um, it's a hard thing to get uh, uh, from a child actor. His performance. He's, and you uh, immediately. The, the thing this the movie, in my opinion, does better than the book is I sympathize more with with Tad because Tad really isn't like a fully developed character the way uh, Brett is. Brett is the the boy who owns Cujo. Mm-hmm. Um, he's kind of just a victim in the book once the once the uh, the film starts. But with the film, I get to see Danny Pinatero and he's so cute. And he's so vulnerable and his uh, uh, performance is so visceral mm-hmm. in, in those moments with, with D. Wallace that I am immediately uh, just endeared to him. And I, I would have sworn like, oh, man, this kid must have been scarred for life. But apparently, according to Danny Pintero, he doesn't remember much about this, but he does remember like he was not emotionally scarred. But he totally knew they did a very good job of like making sure he understood this was all just fun and imaginary and like which blows my mind that he would do a take like he does in the car. And then as soon as they say cut, he's like, "Okay, where's the camera going to be next? You know, isn't that crazy to think that Yeah, he's it's like I'm like I'm like tearing up that first time he's freaking out. It's amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, there's a performance. Go ahead. It as a parent. Man. It's a it's a tough thing to watch as a parent the first time you see this movie. I bet, you know, like, I mean. 
I, I don't know that experience. I didn't watch it first as a parent. I watched it as a kid, but Molly watched it as a parent and, and she was shaken. I mean, she, those, those the, the scenes all in the car with Tad are just very, I mean, it is, it is granular. You're feeling it. I propose a remake with Molly. Your amazing That's wife. And the of the podcast starring. 100%. And I'll, I'll play, play Tad. I'll play Tad. You play Tad. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll play Cujo. <laughs> Molly's just in there cuddled up with you. I'm on the outside of the car, banging my head on it. I'm like, give me a This is going to be a weird movie. What are you doing with my wife? Dude, you're a dog. You're a dog. I'm her son. Relax. <laughs> I'm only seven years old. Relax. I'm only seven years old. Come give me Come give me mouth to mouth, Come give me mouth to mouth, Ma. I like this. We should do this. Um, <laughs> I was going to say that there is a reason why it's illegal to have a pet that's not registered with its vaccine vaccination text and this right. movie is a perfect example of it you fucking gotta get make sure mm -hmm. these there's some like when i you know when you when you go out into the country whether it's upstate new york or down in the south you got these dogs oh, yeah. living the outdoor life it's a good life mm -hmm. but you gotta a, make a, sure those life. yeah and you gotta make sure those dogs are vaccinated right this, this brought up a uh, this brought up a thing i wanted to ask you have you ever had a rabid animal scare? Not. I'm trying to think. I'm sure my parents have, but I was oblivious to it as a kid. This the, this kind of brings up, like, I'm going to get into, because obviously I think you do, uh, and I want to get <laughs> into, like, how this, reading the book and seeing the movie has changed my perception on, like, how I view animals in general. Um, which was a very innocent and naive sort of way, uh, not really understanding like how fucking scary rabies is, right? Yeah, it's very scary disease. Um, oh yeah, and if you get it, you gotta you gotta be treated immediately so quickly without per permanent damage being inflicted mm -hmm. upon you. What did, did you have? You had scares. I've had a couple in my life. Yeah. It, through the uh, military or through or through uh, uh, um, no, one, like your childhood or one was growing up in in Texas. There was uh, they had to, they had to put down a rabid dog, Ooh. and um, I didn't have personal contact with that dog when it had rabies, but just the stories of the of my neighbors and friends talking about it always kind of gave me some chills. Because it's it, because they are they are very temperamental and they are very aggressive and they are like foaming at the like the things they say about like it's a very scary thing. And then um, about ten years ago, I listened to a story of a woman recount getting bit by a rabid raccoon, and it was it was probably the scariest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> told. Really? Yeah. This is like, this like is a man. This is a man who has seen war. And yeah. you're t and this is uh, interesting. I, I, I can't if I if I remember, I'd just tell you to go listen to her tell a story. I can't remember where I heard it, but but I can give you the Cliff Notes version of it. She was on a, her regular trail run, and at her at her summer house, and as she ran up to the house, there was a raccoon just like in the middle of the road. She thought nothing of it. So she kind of like yelled at it and just kept running. And as she got closer, it like 
hunched down like it was going to jump at her. And she was like, well, this is strange. And it started chasing her. And it was really fast. And the raccoon jumped up and bit her leg and then didn't stop there. It kept clawing at her and trying to get, like, climb up her. And she threw it off and then it climbed back onto her. And she ran through her screen door into her home with the rat with the raccoon on her eat like biting at her face oh my she gosh threw it off. oh my she threw gosh it off and just started like hitting it with everything she could and it kept coming at her and you know they have like uh thumbs so, like it was able to grab things and yeah. like work its way around the house and uh she finally like hit it with a shovel a bunch of times put it in a bag hit it a bunch of she said she she said she what? hit the thing maybe 700 times and it what? kept like getting up and trying to come at her. And then she, when it was finally, she, she had it killed. She was like, Oh man, was this rabid? And so she called the doctor, couldn't get him. Cause they were, they were, it was, she was in the middle of nowhere in New York. And uh, they're like, you have to get to a hospital, the house, a hospital six hours away. Do you think the raccoon is rabid? She goes, she goes, that, she goes, I do think it is. And they said, you may not make it to the hospital at six hours away. And she was like, oh. what? So then they had a uh, uh, one of the doctors, whatever, or not doctors, a nurse, a nameless, I don't know what it was, but met her halfway as she's driving, thinking that she's about to die. And they're able to give her the shot in just enough time. She said, Oh my God. After that experience, she sold her home and she cannot be in the country alone. Oh, that's so terrible. That sucks. I And I can understand that, you know, it's like, that's a thing, right? You go surfing mm-hmm. and you get attacked by a shark. You either go surfing again or you never go surfing yeah. for the rest of your life. Wow, yeah. that sucks. Yeah. That's uh, I got a man. I would love to sit down with her and really hear this story full out. Yeah, like it's a that alone that in in and of itself is a horrific story. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, uh, years after hearing that, we had a moment where there was a raccoon. It was daytime. So you really, if you see a raccoon in day, it's kind of a strange thing. But it was daytime and a raccoon was in our shed. And I was going out to like grab something. And uh, it's actually, we, we, this is the moment that we stopped keeping our trash in the shed. And we just put bands around it and kept it outside because raccoons would get in our shed. And I opened the door and I heard something kind of like move. And I looked up and there was just a raccoon looking at me with its like beady eyes in the corner. And I, I went and said, get out of here, get out of here. Didn't move. And I was like, and it was just kind of going, kind of had a hiss to it, you know? And, mm-hmm. I, and I, so I grabbed a stick and I was like, I'm just gonna, I'm going to pop it with a stick once and let it, and just, so it'll run off. Cause they're pretty skittish animals. Once you scare them, hit it with a stick, did not move. Just like, literally <laughs> like ready to, it was going to pounce on, it was going to pounce on my fucking face, man. I, Everything inside me went from like, get out of here to like, oh my God, I'm going to die. And I ran and, uh, and <laughs> yeah. I grabbed our neighbor. I grabbed our neighbor, Justin, and said, what should, what should I do? And he came over and we looked at it and it was just sitting there like, and I was like, dude, I think it's rabid. So we called the local police to the come police, out. Okay. Came, the police. Yes, the police. Because <laughs> we didn't know what else to do. So we called well, we call, animal like, control, but, but animal yes. control, right? But we did. And we called our police. The police officer came. Opened up the shed, looked in, was like, ooh. He's like, ooh, that is strange. That is not the way that raccoon should be acting. He said, here's the thing. We are authorized to take it out. I can take this thing down. He's like, or you can wait a couple. (laughs) (laughs) The cop. The cop. Fucking shit. Oh, my God. This poor raccoon. 
He said, he said, I'm authorized to take it out. He said, but the responsible thing to do is to get animal control out here. They'll catch it and they'll, they'll test it and then they'll release it uh, properly. And I was like, oh. if assuming it's not rabid. Yeah. Yeah. And I just said, I said, get animal control on the phone. And I said, what should we do? He goes, if you're really scared of it being rabid, you need to have somebody sitting out here watching it just to know if it gets out and around the town or whatever. Yeah. So we, can, we can warn people. And I said, okay. And animal control came out, took it. It didn't have, it didn't have rabies. They it was said just a badass a raccoon. Chance. Well, they said there's a good chance there were some babies around. That's why I wouldn't leave. Ah, uh, uh, yeah, uh, which made me feel well, terrible. Did you then. find babies? No, I never found any babies. Because um, they died in your shed. <laughs> no, because their mom was gone. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. But these these but, were little tads. But they didn't then make I it. found out. <laughs> then then I found out when talking to animal control that because we would see helicopters fly by all the time at night and i was like are those polices like is it do we just have like a lot of escaped convicts in my part of pennsylvania i don't know but um but they're actually they put out flights when during um all year long but especially during like really warmer weather and they throw out these little cakes that are like they're like the most delicious thing to raccoons and and other like uh, animals like that but they treat for rabies so they protect they protect the animals from rabies and they're completely fine for the animals to eat that's amazing so they they fly by helicopters throwing them out all in these wooded areas hoping that the animals will eat them and it will help dampen down the spread of rabies that's what we need to do with with covid is release a bunch of like pop tarts or something yeah brownies that are like laced laced with the vaccine (laughs) laced with the vaccine (laughs) <laughs> it's not a bad it's not a bad idea oh this is or, you know, or you like your, maybe maybe CB- like porn like a porn magazine it's like you just read it and you get the vaccine you know yeah yeah I, I promise you there are there are celebrities that could tell people that they would show them their boobs if they take, take get a vaccine and like 50 percent of that population that doesn't want to get one will be like yeah i'm, I'm, I'm in give me the vaccine i'm in yeah, yeah. You get a lot of re- like, 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 like people be over vaccinated. <laughs> <laughs> like, I wait for I'm here for my seventh shot. <laughs> um, <laughs> moms, <laughs> about those moms. Uh, uh, relating to what you you asked me, um, so I haven't had any rabies. Uh, uh um, oh, real quick though, a pro raccoon story for you. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, I was I was reading Marlon Brando's autobiography a long time ago, and he had a pet raccoon in New York for a while. But you can only have him f- like a monkey. You can only have him for a certain mer- period of time before like puberty hits, and like, you got to get rid of them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, not get rid of them, but like they're not meant to be domestic pets. Anyways, no. so he has this raccoon, and his mother is uh, at his apartment, and she's talking with some friends, and she is like talking about how sophisticated it really is to have a pet as a raccoon and like how how uh sophisticated and and uh, wonderful it is to have a raccoon as a pet and in that moment because you know raccoons like you said they have like they have like human hands oh, yeah. that are also claws the raccoon is like you know on her shoulder or something 
And as she says this, the raccoon like reaches into her mouth and she has dentures and like pulls out her teeth in front of these guests she's trying to impress. It's so, so sophisticated. It just it just like goes in her mouth and pulls out her teeth. Mm, mm. Oh, uh, raccoons! They they are they are hellacious in this area. I bet. Like, don't fuck with raccoons. No, you know, give them some. Uh, don't feed them. But like, no. Don't feed. You know, them. call animal control. Put some peanut butter in a cage. It'll get them released yeah. back into the wild. Yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, I, I I was in Greece a couple of years ago for a little vacation, and um, uh, how fancy am I? And there are sophisticated, sh- very sophisticated. There there are in uh uh the the two places I was Athens and Santorini. There's a fucking million. Stray cats. Oh yeah, there's yeah. so many oh, stray cats. Sure. They're and they're all around. And like, <clears throat> I'm like, you know, I know that I understand what what cats are, and uh, like how they are, what, what their personalities are like. They're you, you know, and it's just like you have to with any animal you don't know, you have to allow it to come to you. You know. Uh, but I was petting these like stray, unvaccinated cats, and the naivete of like if if one of them had happened to bite me, my vacation would have turned into a oh, fuck. I have to go. I have to go. Like I don't even know if they like. I think if you if you get bitten by an animal that you think might have rabies. Like, it's like, well, we got to give you the rabies treatment. I don't think it's a question yeah. of um, testing you beforehand. You just got to go no. through it. And it's a very painful series of stomach injections, as I understand it. Mm-hmm. And and it's because they can't get the blood back from the lab in enough time to, yeah. to save you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so <clears throat> one thing. Real quick. Go ahead. Real quick. Are you clicking a pin or slapping a rubber band? I uh, a lighter. Okay, I'll stop. I, I can hear it. Okay, okay. Go ahead. I'll stop. Um, uh, one thing the the book does so brilliantly is you really sympathize with Cujo. There are chapters told mm-hmm. from the point of view of Cujo and what he goes through. You know, getting getting bitten by this bat and like the change he goes through because he's such a he's such a Sweetheart. wonderful dog, huh? Yeah. Sweetheart. I yeah, said, he's such a sweetheart. He's a he's sweetheart. He's such a wonderful, beautiful dog. And like, what a perfect animal to pick the, the St. Bernard, the, the, the dog that like will rescue you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, and and I, it's, I, it's, I will say that in, in the latter watches of the film, the more you, the more you, you feel empathy for Cujo. I think, I think that when you get that initial watch, out of the way, or at least for me. For me, you know, as a young person watching it, Cujo was bad. As an older person watching it, you're like, what shitty circumstances to be under. God, and, the, and the book really does a fantastic job elaborating upon that. And like, um, like, so Tad dies in the book, but because Tad isn't really like a fully realized character for me, I, I feel 
extreme grief for what the parents go through, but I don't feel a loss from Tad, but I do feel that loss from Cujo because he's, he's, he's an innocent, you know, and, you know, Stephen King famously uh, says he doesn't remember writing the book because he was going Mm -hmm. through like a, like a pretty deep alcoholic stage at that point in his, in his life. And I think it's interesting that the first person to die in the story is Gary, the full-blown alcoholic and the yeah. second person to die is joe the soon to be a full-blown alcoholic and mm-hmm. how cujo turns into this monster and like the noises how it hurts his head you know there's a lot of talk about how it you know the sounds and how it hurts his head and how he changes into this monster which you know something you experience when you use when you abuse substances is 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 is, is as we're drinking as we're saying that and i uh, you know, slur that word uh 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 the monster that you turn into and mm-hmm. uh the people who are victims of it you know mm-hmm. like your children and your spouse yeah um yeah yeah. How about how about that the uh, that the opening credit scene <laughs> to go to go way back? <laughs> what an amazing opening credit scene! I I love seeing D Wallace's name before the title card yeah. and like That's the fun, swirl yeah. of the blood. Yes. Yeah. The 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 music. Yeah. The music throughout throughout the film, but but in the beginning, how it lulls you. The film has a lulling quality. You know, mm-hmm. and and then that's one part music. I think it's also one part with they spend time establishing the characters and the relationship. For a film, it's it's it does it does a decent job. I realize it cannot compete with a with a a novel, but um, but no, I just think that the music also coming into the film, it's just a really yeah. It's great. Did you was nighttime a scary time for you? Were you afraid of? monsters under the bed or in the closet as a child i had i had real life monsters called uh jeff and chad my older brothers (laughs) are the only thing that scared me at night (laughs) so i didn't have time to create my monsters because they were in the other room and i knew the minute i went to bed they were going to try to mess with me (laughs) (laughs) well put well put (laughs) no i never had the I never had the experience that so many people have had where it's like, can you come check the closet? There's something in the closet. I never had that. You know, I, I realized that must be a very common thing though. Cause it just runs through so many stories. That's Did you have that. Not really. Again, like, like you, I had a lot of, uh, I had a lot of siblings. Uh, and, uh, we all, uh, I, you know, it was like four boys and one girl and the four boys shared a room. So there was a lot of boys in that room. And like, yeah, I was more scared of what my brothers might do to me than like a monster under the bed. And I was more scared of, uh, you know, as a kid, I saw an episode, you know, old unsolved mysteries. And I was more scared of like a murderer breaking Mm -hmm. into the house more than like, you know, like a like a monster. Um, Yeah. Have you have you ever been around like an extremely large dog? Oh yeah, yeah, 
Oh yeah, plenty. Plenty. Um, uh, you know, we didn't have a dog a dog as big as uh, Cujo, but but we had we had bigger dogs growing up. And then uh, Molly grew up with Saint Bernards. Oh really? Our friends, yeah, our friends have uh, Bernese Mountain Dogs, which are pretty pretty big. They they were uh, according to uh, the commentary I listened to. Uh, it was it was it was difficult with the dogs because they're so friendly. The Saint mm-hmm. Bernards, uh, you know the uh, um, there were ten uh, about ten. I've heard seven dogs. I've heard thirteen dogs. I've heard ten dogs. Um, <clears throat> but uh, it was a lot of Saint Bernards. One was like a lab, Great Dane mix, and one was a pit bull. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, uh, like I said, the stunt man, um, uh, sure. uh, in 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 the sort of like puppet costume that they used at yeah. one point, um, and like I I I know this about Bernie's Mountain Dogs, and I believe it's the same with Saint Bernard's, but they are so docile that they will like kids. They're such friendly kid animals, like that kids can come up and like pull their ears. Mm-hmm. like be really rough with them and they do not mind one bit yeah yeah it's in, in the book t- when tad meets him like he he's going for rides with him on on him brett's taking him for a ride on the dog and like it's a really wonderful like it, it just establishes Cujo as such a wonderful dog so it's like such a tragedy his his arc throughout the film yeah. um and uh, uh, you know, I'm like I'm like on an airplane reading this book, crying over Cujo. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, yeah. And oh, 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 damn it! I lost my train of thought. That's okay. I I was interesting. Say that, you know, podcast I, information. Well, I, no, 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 I, I found ahead. that from from just my reading and hearing people people who who really love the book and Cujo's a very beloved book i mean it's it's a very popular yeah. book obviously but um but people who love the book do do struggle with the film yeah and, th- and that's know? the that's the disservice i felt like i created by like cramming the book in so close to watching the movie because it was like mm-hmm. a literally finished what finished reading the book and then like watched the movie the next day and again, I didn't have a bad time. It was it was it was fun. I just I um mm-hmm. I was I was uh uh I I, I missed sort 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 of some of the depth and um but I understood yeah. why it couldn't be there in this adaptation. And and I do want to get into the ending at some point. Um yeah. well I will say that that when you talk about how you kind of paints with some broad strokes to kind of introduce some of the ideas from the book. I, I think that there is something to be said because books can really ruin movies for you. It happens to me a lot um, because you come with this knowledge and this love for something, right? And you have all of that baked in and then you feel like they're not paying off those details and services that were so that, – that make such a wonderful, rich story. But for me, like the idea that Cujo was a pleasant, wonderful, amazing dog, I, I totally got it in the film with never reading the book. I completely mm-hmm. understood that this was that this was a tragedy for this dog, especially as an adult. As as a kid, I was really I was there for the scare, you know. And then I walked away feeling like, wow, this really hit me in a really heavy way. Um, then the relationship of of the of the characters felt established to me. I understood 
you know, I, I just I just felt that that even though it was broad strokes, it was done in a way where it didn't like force feed me what I'm supposed to feel, but I got the feelings I think they were going for. Mm-hmm. And if and if I and it might be through the multiple watches that it just reinforces my feelings of the original. You know, you know what I mean? Does that make sense? Like yeah. if you watch it sometimes, you're like, yeah, oh, of yeah, course. yeah, 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 I was, yeah. So that could play a, a major part in that as well. But but yeah, so yeah, it's 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 really. Let's not get to the ending yet. Let's hold off on the ending. Yeah, uh, yeah. there's some things well, I want to uh, talk about with the Trentons. Yeah. Yeah, well, like, speaking of Cujo, one of the scenes that I adored was uh, Brett's, the Brett and Cujo scene, the morning where it's very foggy, and mm-hmm. Brett sees Cujo, and he's yeah. he's like, and Cujo has gone rabid, and Cujo, yeah. and I, reading the book, I'm like, this is, yeah. this is such a wonderful section in the book, because the dog is rabid. He's and, mm-hmm. and Brett sees this and like the dog has its last moments of humanity of recognizing the boy. It's his last. It's the last moment. Cujo is who he is. He grabs. He grasps it for like a second, mm-hmm. and he's like, "Oh yes, the boy. He's my boy," mm-hmm. and he leaves. Yeah, he he goes away to protect the boy and like. Yeah. I was worried about the like is the film going to do this scene? Are they going to do it well? And man, they got it. They nailed it. You get it. And that's I, I I felt. Did you feel that like, oh, like you get the complexity of like that emotion? And this is the dog. This is this dog I think is used in all the close-ups. Like when uh, he goes to kill Carrie and Gary's like, I don't give a fuck. Do whatever you want. <laughs> and he fucking gives him this, like Cujo gives him this like side glance like motherfucker like like i've experienced life like he there's like the 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 brett scene the gary scene and then the, there's a scene in like uh, uh with d wallace through the car and like mm-hmm. that dog is the close-up like give you mm-hmm. give you depth through the eyes dog mm-hmm. yeah and there's and there's certain parts of it baked in if you if you were a person who grew up with dogs right so like i grew up yeah. with 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 big dogs and and that scene you know where billy is is essentially leaving with his mom and he and he sees cujo and he's really worried about cujo and cujo walks off and you the audience know that cujo has has um is rabid as a former kid with big dogs it's like there is a bond that is unspeakable i can't explain it right but that dog gets you on a level that maybe not another human gets you and you probably get that dog on a way that that other dogs don't get that. You know, there's something very, yeah. very unspoken between a boy and his dog. And I, I, I'll so, elaborate right, it, it, upon it, that. Yeah, go ahead. Well, just like I think any any pet, whenever you connect with an, an animal, right? Um, whether it's a pet, whether you're a person who works in conservation and you work, you work with the captive animals, like you have this, like to, to be able to create a bond with, with another species and you can't, you can't share a language. It's like a, a, a truly profound and deeply moving relationship that you get to have in your life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Well, you, you, you learn to read 
body language and you learn to read uh in, in like intricate movements of somebody or something um versus having words to to mask or having words to explain so you really have to get to like understand somebody more than just hear somebody mm-hmm. beautifully put it's much like yeah. much like you and me much like you and me you're my cujo yeah oh thank you i appreciate that. thanks dude thanks dude yeah, you, yeah you're yeah, welcome yeah. dude you're, you're thank my you Gary. for being my cujo <laughs> <laughs> I make a lot of noise and you want to rip my throat out. <laughs> that makes sense. Everywhere. You're throwing beer cans everywhere constantly. That's the basement. That's the basement. It's just a bunch of beer cans. <laughs> I'm basically Gary. Uh, <laughs> uh, Mickey, is this movie pro gun? I, wow. Uh, I didn't think so. Oh, it Did is. Did you feel that? <laughs> yeah. Really? I was, because I wrote, is this movie pro-gun? And by the end of the movie, I'm like, this movie is definitely pro-gun. And I, and I, I myself, like, I have brothers, and uh, 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 two of them, for sure, ride in their trucks with guns mm-hmm. in the trucks. And okay. as is the right in the state that they live in, in 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 the country we live in um um uh, uh so i'm not i'm not saying anything negative or positive about that but i i i do think like it, like if cujo was to happen to one of my brothers it'd be over pretty quickly they have they had oh, they I would see have what you're saying. yes I see what you're they, saying, yeah. they would oh. they have a gun in their car and um they uh uh also something that uh uh is not of the 80s but definitely of the late 90s and early aughts is having like a case of water in your car right like like i don't know about your parents but my parents drive around with like so much water in their car and i think it's maybe because they saw cujo in the 80s and they're like (laughs) fucking i gotta make sure this doesn't happen to me so i got like granola bars and and uh uh, water in case anything goes down the um which obviously wasn't a thing at that time so i so i will say that that I didn't read the pro gun thing in there, but I can see what you mean. It's like I could see if somebody is pro gun, they would be like, "This movie's dumb. If she had a gun, it'd be over." <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah, you're, and that's you what ultimately, your, yeah, that's what saves her at the end in the movie, right? She's got that fucking yeah. gun. Yeah, you know, you know, I, yeah, I don't know. It's like a, a guess. Yeah. Um, I was. I'm watching this, and I'm like. I'm thinking about you because it's like I have I have like an impossible question for you. Okay. Right. Yeah. Uh, 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 for those of you listening for the first time, Mickey has uh, uh, has served in the military uh, mm-hmm. and he has seen some extreme situations. And I'm wondering, in extreme situations like what Donna and Tad are in, how do you accept the reality of what is happening without? panicking like how do you balance accept acceptance and then formulating a plan without losing it right because that's that's what she's I, dealing with this whole time yeah I, I i don't know because most of the situations if i've ever been in one that would felt even close to the stakes that she's in those situations were things that i had 
you know, trained for. So you kind of, kind of go back on your, like your work, you know, you've done the work. It's like an actor, you've done the work. So now just rely on your, what not your instincts, but you, Mm. you, when you're, when you feel your instincts are betraying you, then you know, you've done the work. So you kind of rely on that. This who's prepared for that. I know when my son, and and I'll, I'll use this as an example because, because if it were me and there were a rabid dog outside the car, I would act differently than if it were me and seven-year-old Campbell in the car and there's a rabbit dog outside, right? Mm-hmm. Because your your thing is I, I have to protect versus I have to like stop the threat, right? Because there's a difference in yeah. protecting and stopping a threat, you know? Because if you go for it and you fail, then you've left this person completely open to be, you know, yeah, like, and that's hey, that's no her that's her struggle. That's her struggle yeah, that's, in this, that's right? That's the dilemma, yeah. right? Yeah. That's why she and, doesn't run for the door immediately because she right. has Tad to think about. She can't take Tad with her. Mm-hmm. Right? Because she, she might well, get attacked. She, and she can't go alone because she might get attacked. And she also she she hears the I have to believe she because we I think that this director is using everything for a reason. And we hear the phone ring. I think that she has to believe that, okay. Well, that's good. The phone is ringing. I know nobody's in there, but people are trying to contact this person. There will be somebody coming at some point. Yeah. You know, um, even up to the end, where right? She, and I, like, I don't. I'm sure the book has written this in there. I don't know, but but you don't get. Uh, any yeah, it, get it definitely yet. does. It, there's there's yeah, but, there's so many there's so many variables that go. Yeah, that sure. that the book is able that has the time and the space to go mm-hmm. into. Yes, but go ahead. But but I but I feel like we're building this thing where it's like as all options are starting to fall by she's now run out time is no longer on her side she can't wait for somebody um she sees the police officer he goes down she can't do that she's been eyeing the bat as a potential option so she's doing essentially what any good person would do she's weighing every option that she has and as she gets closer to one option being taken off the table she's now kind of not obsessing but she's like going for okay what's my next move that one doesn't work and when she comes to the point where she's like, she says, I think I can't remember the exact words, but it's God, save my son. Someone save my son. Uh, and then she's like, you know, it's like almost like, fuck God, fuck someone. I'm saving my son. Yeah. I'm doing this right now. There's no more time. And I think that that is that, that what she, her journey is, is very relatable to anybody in any circumstances, right? Whether it's, what what when is the tipping point you're going to quit your job when is the point in which you're like i'm going to finally do this thing that i've been waiting to do forever when is the point you leave a a bad marriage or an abusive boyfriend or girlfriend you know it's like it's like she's coming to that point where she's like i have to make these decisions it's on it's 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 a movie i think almost about um don't wait or at least what i take from this movie is that there's there's like it's like you have agency you can take care of this. You don't have to be rescued. You don't have to be saved. You know what has to be done. So do it. And it mirrors her breaking it off with um uh breaking Steve. it off with uh Steve Camp too. You know, it's like you can do this, you know. So I, I just think that, that that is a nice if there's something to take away is like what is a what is a nice moral from the story, I think that's that's kind of what I take away from it. How about man, I got I just I just want to say did I mention the 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 360 
camera moves. Yeah. From from Tad to D to Tad to D to Tad oh, to God. D. Yeah. So innovative, so beautiful. And like, oh, like mm-hmm. again, like they shine when they're in the car. Like mm-hmm. Danny Pinatero is amazing. Like she's like really just like uh, any feelings you might uh, have about the movie uh, as you're watching it. I, I feel like they're the, 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 the positives for me in my experience, I sort of forgive, right? Mm-hmm. Because there's, there's, a, there's so much to love within the mm-hmm. story of this film and within the performances and within like the, the, the innovation and in making it. And it's like, you know, man, fucking it's hard. How do you like, especially in, in this time when we talk about um, like movies being too long mm-hmm. and it's like our series, mini series. And it's mm-hmm. like, do I really need eight hours for the story? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like street. How do you streamline a story and get everything through? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think I think or, this movie is, is succeeds in 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 many ways. What were you gonna say? Well, I no, I was gonna I was gonna say let's what are what are and I I, I understand that I, I'm not I don't want you to like I want to hear a little bit of a criticalness from you. I want, I want to know like what is the is it book related or is it other things that you're like this is where the story like doesn't hold up or, or what, what is it that, that gives you reserve on it? That set stops it from being like something more. Well, like some of it, I've, I've, I feel like I've expressed throughout the conversation. Okay. And, and one of the, one of the uh, handicaps I have on it is like, I saw it so closely to finishing the book. So it's hard to like, you you see Danny as having asthma attacks, and I'm interested if right. most people see it that way because Danny's having seizures in the book. Yeah, and he's, he's having seizures. Yeah, brought on yeah. by dehydration and heat, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, there's just there's there's so much there's like so much you know what I mean. There's so much you can fit yeah. into 400 pages, especially when you're a great writer. And then I bring all of that, and I'm watching the movie, and like ultimately the thing. The thing that like disappoints me the most is the last part of the movie. That's where for me, it kind of like is ultimately um, disappointing. And we, 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 we can get into that. Um, Let's go. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Before we get into the end of the film, I just want to mention one last thing. And that's, so something that's heavily in the book that I didn't think would be included in the film at all is what Vic's going through at work, which yeah. is he's an the ad exec, dye. the red dye. Are you familiar yeah. with the red dye? The, the re- yeah. like in actual history with, with, uh, I believe it's Frankenberry. Uh, I don't know about, Fr- no, I don't know about the story of Frankenberry, but I know that the red dye is, is causing people's poop to be red, so they think the kids' stomachs. Yeah, with, with 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 so this is an actual thing that happened. So I believe it was with Frankenberry, the you know one of the monsters. We got Calcula, we got Fruit Brute, 
We got Booberry. We got Frankenberry. I believe it was Frankenberry. And Frankenberry had a red dye in it. And this dye doesn't digest in your stomach. So it goes, it's completely harmless, but it goes through your body and you, you poop it out. And a mother somewhere at some point in time when this came out noticed her son was had like what looked like blood in his stool, took him to the hospital. Long story short, they figure out it's the, the red dye in the cereal, right? So it was like a big thing at that time. It's mm-hmm. a very interesting mm-hmm. story. I, I recommend you check it out. But I, I, I do love how Stephen King sort of rewrites history a little bit and works that mm-hmm. into his story, right? Because it's, right. it's like they didn't do anything wrong. Uh, whoever manufactures this red dye did the thing wrong, but like now his job is on the line. And that plays like a major part in the book of what he's going through and then with the affair and everything. And I was surprised that it was even a part of the movie. Okay. Pretty amazing. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So the end of the movie. Yeah. Let's talk about the end of the movie. I want to know, do, do we, do we want to start with, with my, my thoughts or, or, or your thoughts? I'm I'm more interested in your thoughts because I I haven't read the book. I I know what the book's ending is. I know Tad dies. I know Stephen King regrets that, but uh, but I have not I've not read it. So yeah, jump in. Yeah, that's that's something that's interesting is that when Stephen King writes, he's always surprised by how things the twist and turns the story goes. He's like, I didn't want Tad to die, but that's what happened. And it's the, the, that's just kind of a wonderful thing of a of a creative person. It's like. You know, all, all you read any of his stories, and it's like I didn't expect this event to happen, but it did. It just happened. Um. Uh. So, anyways, um. Uh, the, so the book, the book, in the book, in the book, Donna is at a point where she has to get out of the car, just like in the movie. And when she does, she finds the baseball bat. A big difference is something that I felt robbed of in the film. The ending of the film is she has this like amazing, badass, but ultimately futile moment of like this face off with this dog. And she fucking beats that dog to death mm-hmm. with this bat. It breaks in half. She fucking stabs it in the eye. It doesn't die. She just continues. It's not a mistake. Like in the, in the film, the dog pounces on the broken baseball bat. She in the in the book, she has turned into a ravenous beast herself, and she fucking beats this dog to death. And at that same moment, Vic shows up, but it's like ultimately too late, and like. She herself becomes this ravenous animal, not letting anyone touch her son. And like the paramedics show up and like all these people show up and all these men can't hold her down. They can't put a needle in her to like, you know, get her sedated. Like she goes through this like major ordeal and she has this major epic standoff with the beast and she comes out on top. Um, 
and like how much of the rabies have taken a hold of her at that time, dehydration, mm-hmm. paranoia, all this stuff that goes into that. And and like how like oh, it's it's gut-wrenching that she goes through this. She finally like 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 I should have gone earlier when I was healthier and more hydrated, but but he's dying while I'm dying, and like but and it just Tad doesn't make it. And but yeah. but ultimately what ends up happening is her marriage, their relationship becomes uh, like strengthened through it. Her and Vic, they become, they like, they, they, they grow a deeper bond through this like tragedy as opposed to like growing even further apart. And, um, there's this thing I, uh, there's, a. Um, if you allow me to read from the book, just something that Vic says, you know, the world is full of monsters and they were all allowed to bite the innocent and the unwary. Um, and I was just like, you know, with the dealing with the ending of the book versus, versus the movie, it has all of this, this depth and it, it like, you know, uh, Brett gets a new, ch- uh, you know, uh, charity gets, uh, Brett, a new dog. Like there's all these things that happen that are like ultimately very fulfilling to my soul and yeah. how I write a blue sins, satisfying ending. Yeah. And, but, but, but like the growth you go through when you go through trauma, you know, mm-hmm. um, what's really valuable in your life what despite a a spouse cheating on you what what's ultimately more more important in your life other than like being a a a, a cuckold you know and all, all of that stuff and i do feel within the movie that she's kind of robbed of that moment uh, and I do know that they're they're setting up, like, hey, you gotta you gotta let the the kids gotta live, right? Even Stephen King's like in the movie, the kids gotta live, right? Uh-huh. So this is a pro Stephen King note. Um, and I <laughs> I was really distracted when she's giving him CPR, this very dramatic moment, and we're getting uh-huh. ads for cornflakes and Olympia beer. They're prominently placed, and I can't help but notice them during this during this very dramatic scene. That's like in my first my first viewing, and I'm sure as a kid you wouldn't have this experience because you don't notice no. that shit. Not not even right? now did I have that experience. Yeah, well, I think that's because you've 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 experienced it throughout your life. But like I'm watching it, and I just can't help but notice fucking Kellogg's cornflakes and fucking Olympia beer, and it's really distracting. But that's that's my personal mm-hmm. experience while I'm yeah. watching it. And you know, uh, then you know, Cujo comes back, very cinematic. She shoots him, mm-hmm. then she goes out the door, and we have a freeze frame ending. Yeah, and it's just. It feels, and again, because I had just read the book and I just yeah. had this like, you you're allowed to have feelings experience. that aren't the same as mine. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, um, uh, uh, I I just kind of felt like like there's a reason why it just like we're freezing here and it's over because we if we 
do anything else. It's too complicated. It's going to add to the runtime. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, we're an hour 32. That's that's a sweet spot. You know what I mean? So I, I just felt yeah. a little like uh, robbed and unsatisfied. But again, my experience is colored by the fact that I just finished reading this book. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I, I, I could a hundred percent understand that. There is I, I've read the stand cover to cover, and I have been waiting for the movie to do justice by that book. And it has never come. It is always like hard for me to watch any representation i'll watch them every single one of them because I'm, I'm hoping somebody gets it but the, 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 you just can't do what the book does of course you can never that's that's yeah. what's beautiful about an adaptation and i and, and i think when you when you look at like the godfather or fight club those are the two mm-hmm. that come to mind where it's like yeah. those are brilliant adaptations that stand alone and they're different they're so different from the source material but so wonderful yeah. in their own right and i can enjoy both of them it's 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 so hard to adapt things especially something like the stand and you know what, the, what is your mick harris to we'll, stand mm-hmm. Go ahead. it just it, it again I, I i feel like it's very much like this where there's the you have your pros and your cons um yeah there are wonderful things about them but ultimately you're you're left wanting after reading the book but i, I will say this about cats cat's eye i think that fucking hits the nail on the head i think it's an you know when you adapt a short story i think there's just so much room for interpretation i think the black phone is a great example of that joe hill stephen king's son like where you you like it's always better to be in the position of like we got to stretch this out we got to elaborate upon this and fit Mm -hmm. in an hour and a half as opposed Mm -hmm. to the opposite where you have like a lot of uh, depth to it and you can look up you can read i didn't know this was out there i just figured this out before we talked but um i'm sorry i'm, I'm rifling through my notes right now um uh the writer the first draft barbara turner jennifer Le- jason lee's mother by the way oh um, okay who did the first draft you can read her first draft uh online it's available and it involves more of the subplots and everything that that, that okay. goes on in the books. And I'm very interested to read that. And I, but I also, again, totally understand why they like the studio was like, nah, you can't have all this. This is, this is a bloated movie. You don't have the budget for it. Like we gotta, you gotta streamline it. And and like you could have ended up with a very cheap, like Jaws type ripoff, right? With this oh, yeah. movie, right? Because it's like an animal and it's crazy, but uh, again, I think they they do a wonderful service to the job, and I think its mixed reputation is earned through people being too too critical. And like, I get why you love it. I get why people love this movie, and I get why it has endured for so long, despite some of the failings that I personally felt towards it. Because it ultimately, I found it forgiving. Due to, you know how one like all the positives just weigh out, out away the negatives for me in this movie. Yeah, I I don't have the experience of reading the book, which I'm very I'm I'm actually fortunate in that respect. I mean, I would have been too young to read Cujo, but <laughs> but um, but you know, you talk about the ending with the freeze frame and how I always kind of received that, and especially on this watch, was that I don't need to know, I don't need the movie tied up. I, I like that it's self-contained. 
I like that 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 not everything has to be answered in this film. In the book, if it just ended on a freeze frame, which how would you do that in a book? I don't know. Um, but uh, but you know, it's like it would it, yeah. it wouldn't it it would not it, that would be a disappointing book. You know, books are meant to be, you know, buttoned up real clean. You know, you finish it, you leave us with this. You know, um, there are you know. There are epilogues, you know, there, there, there are, um, my point being is that, is that in a, in a hour 30 movie, I like the idea that you can kind of almost make your own. And I say this of a couple of movies you watch too, where it's like, I don't mind that, that it ends there and that's, and it's not, not clean. It's like what you know, now they've gotten through this, but are, are they going to divorce? ultimately and is that going to be the moment that's going to traumatize this kid even though he just went through this nightmare it's like are, are they going is this just the thing that brings them together again is that freeze mm-hmm. frame showing that the that the thing that binds them is tad you know and at the loss of tad would that trauma bind them that's what the book says for sure but this leaves it to where you can kind of be open-ended a child of divorce would be like a child of like you know that was a very affected by the divorce might watch that ending and be like Ah, oh, now they're back together. Now the real nightmare starts. You know, whereas somebody who didn't wasn't a child divorced to someone mm-hmm. like me, when I see that, I'm I'm like, this is just reassuring in a way where it's like, you see, yes, she cheated on you. Yes, life gets in the way of of love. But guys, you have a son. You made it through this thing. He's back. You're all together. You know, this is what it's about. There's there's a thing where it says, where that's what's always said to me. It's been a very, been a very positive ending and one where you fill in the the blank i guess so there's something really great about that because i don't know what stephen king's intentions was i don't know where that where the source material goes and finishes and it because it does this is a complete 180 from the source material you know so yeah but but so I, i i enjoy the ending and i and i would say that get if for people who read the book and love the book, that's something to take in note. If you're thinking about seeing this movie, it might disappoint, you know, and that's okay. You know, that, that's, that's, that's part of content. That's part of, you know, reading and learning and, you know, bringing yourself to something, you know, and if yourself has been somebody who just read the book and loved the book, then you're bringing that to them. This is what movies do. You bring yourself to the movie. You meet the movie where it is with all the stuff that you have. And then you say, I'm going to, you know, Yes, be influenced by what I what I have in my own experiences, but also, you know, like you're doing, judging it as a film. You 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 said plenty of positive things about the film, but you're exploring the hangups you have from being a uh, avid reader of Stephen King and having knowing where his book went. And it obviously it sounds like a wonderful read. It, it is. sounds like a great ending. It it it's it's it's. It's it's heart wrenching, and it's. I could just I could we could we could, we could continue to talk about the book, but we're not here to talk about the book, even though we've been ta- I've been talking nonstop. Where, about where the does book Co- where does recently. Cujo yeah, where does Cujo the book land on your Stephen King books? Like, you know, I don't want you getting like this is my number one, number two, number three, but like, is it in the upper tier? Is it in the mid tier, or is it in like the eh, lower tier? I, I I can't answer that question at this particular moment due to okay. how fresh it is. But I will gotcha. say, anybody who is a fan of Stephen King, I would say you should definitely check out Cujo. I don't think it's his best, 
but I think it's definitely worth reading. And I, again, like the, the doing this, doing this podcast and then watching the movie and having to reflect upon all these things. Like I was surprised by all of the themes that it, that, that it brought up within me about life and relationships and unsaid like again how communication is such an important tool when, when you're in a relationship with your friend or your lover or your spouse what, what, what however you want to define it communication is key and when you when you can't communicate how you're feeling how frustrating that is and how it leads you to do things that maybe aren't serving you or the people around you so well so i think that's ridiculous that this book is a book some guy wrote when he was drunk <laughs> and he can't it's like god damn you stephen king for being so fucking talented you can't read like if i got so wasted i didn't remember writing something it would be like shit you know, yeah. it's just, uh, <laughs> uh, Mick, I, I, I think, uh, I think you were, were you really drunk when you wrote this? Cause it doesn't make yeah, any sense. The book is just about people pooping red. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all about the poop, dude. It's all about it's, uh, the poop. No, dude, dude, no, no, I, I, I think that just, I wanted to add that I, I, so how was it? If I if you were to, to to if you were to ask somebody like myself who's only seen the movie and said, "What are the big high points of the book?" Here's what I would have said: It's going to be a lot about the advertising agency and and what's going on there. <laughs> I think I think I brought <laughs> I brought I brought up I brought up a lot of the highlights. I think no no, no. yeah yeah. Yeah, I'm saying no, no. I'm saying if, if if I hadn't talked to you about the book and known all the things I did, just taking from the movie what's highlighted in yeah. the movie. Yeah, yeah. I would say, well, the book probably a third of it is just about the ad agency and what's going on there, because in the movie it feels very prominent. I mean, it, you that's that to me are the the two settings are him with the ad agency buddy trying to figure out that dilemma, and her um, being without him, taking care of all of her tying up her own loose ends in life, which is breaking it off with Kemp and also um, uh, getting the car fixed, the Pinto. Um, her, so her under, yeah, go ahead. Under, understanding the psychology of why she cheats on Vic, despite the fact that Vic is a wonderful spouse and a wonderful father, understanding that getting into that. And also you can't have a good Stephen King story without some weird sexual stuff. When Kemp like, when when he like understanding his psychology and what he's going through throughout the story, you you spend time with these characters. Oh, I know there was some freaky stuff. He had his he had he his trombone in bed with him. Well, that's not a thing in the in the, in the book, but I <laughs> like that that's efficiency in storytelling. I understand that he is an artist of some kind, right? <laughs> he's anti-establishment and he's an artist through yeah. uh, a few a few lines and him playing the trumpet and like the the, the trumpet, production yeah. design of his of his house uh what he does within the community like there are things uh but a fundamental difference is Kemp in the book would never shake the hand of a person he lost to in tennis that plays Ooh, a big okay. part in his character and also when he destroys Donna and Vic's house 
he goes into their master bedroom and he so he's so around this is so stephen king he's got such a fucking heart on throughout this whole thing he fucking goes into the bedroom and he masturbates and he jizzes all over their all over their uh uh marital bed bed and like leaves a message like i left something for you upstairs you know and like how vic (laughs) finds out about it is like he writes him a letter he writes Vic a letter and it sends it to his business and it's like, I fucked your wife. She's got a mole above her vagina. She fucking was fucking good. How about you? You know, I'm 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 uh 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 uh, uh abbreviating these things, but it's like you kind of sound like you love the character of Kemp. <laughs> I mean, I love I lo- like that's that's okay. I gotta say this real quick. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I love him because he's such a piece of shit and like. When you're reading it at the beginning of it, you're like, oh, fuck it. I hope Cujo rips his throat out. I hope he ends up. Right. He doesn't, though. But like as you're reading it, you 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 get there before it gets there and you understand, oh, the revenge on Steve is just his existence. Gotcha. He's this gotcha. pathetic, gotcha. unformed individual and like. It's just the karma of his life is the revenge. I don't need to see Cujo rip his throat out. What a pathetic, yeah. what a pathetic person, you know? Yeah. That, that, um, and also, not, now I'm also speaking of somebody who has not read the book, but it also, it's a great paralleling of like, here is a, here is a nice docile creature bestruck by this horrible, horrible disease that is now this ravenous crazy beast and then kemp seems to be his own version of a ravenous beast but not by the the undoing of not by something from nature but just from psychology i don't know i don't, I don't know what, yeah, I don't know what actually, arrested development is 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 the broad strokes would be arrested development he just never okay, okay. He never he never grows beyond a certain point yes and, and, and now i'm making can't accept re- rejection I'm now making assessments of a book I've never read. No, but like, like <laughs> I think that that's a testament to the conversation we had and to the film, like, like again, streamlining as many elements in the story as possible, getting all of that across as, as efficiently as possible, which I always appreciate an efficiently stole, uh, mm-hmm. stole, uh, told story. Um, do you think I wanted to ask you this question? Do you think Christopher Stone? You think uh, Kemp in the movie? She calls him like the local stud. Does he strike you as the local stud? I think for the time period that it was made in, yes. I think okay. now uh, standards have changed, and it mm-hmm. would be it would be, it would be a situation where you would need to spend more time with the character to mm-hmm. understand his magnetism, his charisma, that sort of thing. Because, yeah. I, like you know, it's. What what we found attractive in the eighties is different in the nineties and in the, right. the aughts and the tens and the twenty. You know what I mean? Even in the fifties, mm-hmm. like it's 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 oh it's always evolving and changing. But I let that actor. Hold on, let me let me get let me get to my notes here. Um, Christopher Stone, uh, mm-hmm. fucking awesome actor, man. Yeah, and I think great. he does a wonderful job. Like I totally buy that he's that character. Um, uh, but I do see, I do, I do see, I do see what you're saying through a modern lens. Like, yeah. 
you know, it, the, 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 it seems the further time goes by, uh, the more obsessed we are with youth and with like being yeah. so ridiculously good looking in an unbelievable way. Uh, so yeah. in a way, um, Christopher Stone playing Steve Kemp is like a perfect casting because uh, it's more about what he offers through who he is and then the nightmare of who he truly is. Does that make right. any sense whatsoever? Uh, Am yeah, I absolutely. Just yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, no, no, it, it's, it's saying that there's an essence that we as, as an audience watching the film from a modern lens might say, well, he doesn't look like the beautiful artist type, but that's understanding that what she's drawn to is his essence or what he, what he portrays or puts out. It's more of a, of a, he's the local stud because he's, he's got a, a aura around him and an essence that is very attractive and, and versus where now it's for us, it's surface level. We live in a, we live in a world that's very surface level because of Instagram and social media. And it's like, you know, to be the local stud means something very different than what it might've meant in that period or what, it, or what yeah. it actually does mean to be the local stud. I've known guys, I'm like, well, he doesn't look super handsome, but every girl is just in love with him. Um, Pete Davidson. Uh, you know, it's just, <laughs> <laughs> that's a good, that's a good casting for like a modern, uh, I do think this is ripe for, uh, a, a remake. Um, and that is so an, hard for me that... to watch anybody play the D walls character. I'm open to it. I, I am 100% open. Uh, I think Molly could do it, but, um, mm. but I just, I, I think if there's any closing remark I have on this film, um, it would be simply that this film would not work the way it works on me without D Wallace. Can I put into yeah. words how much I love her and I love her in this film? I don't think I can because it's something I just feel. Uh, and maybe it has something to do with ET. Maybe it has something to do with just growing up with her as, as just the, the sweetest mom that will go to the ends of the earth to protect her children. Um, I always thought she was an interesting mom because she always had some kind of, not flaw, but she was, she was complicated. You know, she, that to me, gra I gravitated much more to that than say, you know, Carol Seaver, you know, or, you know, the moms that just seemed to like have it all together, you know? Mm -hmm. She has a lot to work with in this. <clears throat> yeah. So anyway, Excuse so me. that'd be my, my big, like if my closing remark would be if for no other reason to watch this film, D Wallace for the 40 minutes. It's her and Cujo and uh, Danny or Tad, sorry, Danny uh, Pinotero or Pintero, whatever. I can't know how to say his last name, but, but Tad and Donna in the car against Cujo D's performance in that, in that section is just stellar. Agreed. Yeah. Um, so does it belong in the section? I, wholeheartedly agree yeah obviously you do too oh um, she, this is the this is the first this is she is the the ultimate reason i want a monster squad is is d wallace belongs here multiple times by the yeah. way but for me as far as d wallace performance i put cujo above the rest just like the orgasms that kemp gave donna multiple times would she be here 
Um, <laughs> no, no go. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> yes. Did you, did you know you, that they shot a, they shot a sex scene for the movie? I I did know. Yes, I did know that. Uh, ultimately, uh, they found that the uh, audience didn't want to see that. They they wanted to just understand she did something mm-hmm. they don't they didn't want to see it uh, uh, apparently a very beautifully shot film at a piano or a, a very beautifully shot scene at a piano um mm-hmm. also i will say to 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 the filmmakers they also understood uh when i was talking about like how donna like fucking beats that dog to death and then goes for more once it's dead and just beats it into mm-hmm. a bloody pulp the filmmakers yeah. understood People don't want to see that in a movie. Even if the dog, even if we understand the dog is evil, seeing a yeah. like an animal hurt, especially a dog, right? Like people don't like it. Right. John Wick. No, it's that's all I gotta say to you, John. Yeah, yeah John, Wick. It's for real. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, we've made a did lot you know of money D- off of our John Wick rentals. <laughs> yeah. Uh, did you know that D. Wallace and Christopher Stone were married? Yes, during the time of okay. this filming, mm-hmm. during mm-hmm. the time of the filming, mm-hmm. yes, they were they were married. Okay. Was I didn't look this up. Was uh um uh wait a second, Christopher Stone? Mhm. Oh. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I thought it was Daniel Hugh Kelly, uh Vic. No, um, no, no. Kemp. She was no, married she to was, Kemp. Uh, oh. Was I didn't look this up and this is pathetic. But did did uh, uh, Daniel Hugh Kelly did he play the dad in Cat's Eye? We gotta look that up. I gotta yeah, figure we'll, that out. We'll, we'll, yeah, they're inter That's they're it. interchangeable. If they didn't, That's crazy. If it's not the same dad. Uh, but anyways, sorry. Um, who do we recommend this movie to, Mickey? I mean, I'm I, I for so many reasons. I want to say anybody who walks in, mm-hmm. but I'm not. Okay, good. Try to, <laughs> like, like try to be judicious. Yeah. Um, I am going to say, if you've not read the book, okay, because I, I do think that this is this is a very um, from what I've read and what I've what I've heard, that people who love this book are really going to struggle with this film. So I'm not going to walk somebody into that, right? I'm going to say, you love that book? I, you know, you don't have to watch the movie. I mean, you can if you want, but, uh, you know, it's, it doesn't, it, it, it really strays in certain places from the book that might, you know, leave you otherwise a bad taste in your mouth. So why do that? Um, so I'm going to go back to when I was a child, and I'm going to say, this is one that you need to watch as a family, with older kids, like with kids that are uh, in, I'll say tweens, kids that are in mm-hmm. that like, uh, they're a little bit older than Tad, but not teenagers yet fully. The, this is a recommendation for liberal parents. Yeah. Yeah. Why? Why? On, say that again. Just, I, I think your recommendation is awesome. Just like for, if you're if you're more liberally minded, because if you're not, 
Because of what? Because of the sex or because of the cheating wife, spouse? Or I don't know. I just don't scared. like conservative you... people, I think. Uh, that's a prejudice <laughs> on my point. I'm sorry. Well, I, I here's the thing. I can see what you're saying. I, I, I never saw in myself the whole gun connection. But I, th- I think it's okay because I was a pretty I was a kid being raised by conservatives. And the reason I think the kids should watch it more than any other reason why I think it, it really is, is good for a child to see this movie is that it puts the child front and center in circumstances that they didn't bring upon themselves where they have to rely on a parent and mm-hmm. you see a parent struggle. You know, and I think that that's important for kids to see that it like when she when he says i want my dad i want my dad and she freaks out and she kind of yells at him over it that is such a real parent moment that every parent can identify with but we never but we always apologize for those moments you know we always mm-hmm. feel guilty for having those outbursts but for well, a child to see go ahead I think you as a parent would feel that. I don't think my parents would feel that. But you yes. don't think so? Mm. Okay. I don't think so. <laughs> would your parents? I I don't I, I don't remember my parents uh I remember my parents having those outbursts. Um and I do feel like it was usually backed up with like some ice cream or staying up later if I wanted. <laughs> <laughs> I, I felt like every time my parents yelled at me, um uh, they felt completely justified. <laughs> they didn't give a shit. <laughs> this kid's a fucking nightmare. It's ruining my life. But it's but it's but there you go. So, so that's what you thought. But in, but, but in this kid, movie, yeah. but if but in this movie, you, you I have to believe because I know Campbell would would definitely agree that that he oh, thinks yeah. that the mom in Cujo is incredible. She's like yeah, she fights the dog and then she saves him. You know, she saves the kid's life. But under under stress, under immense amounts of stress, she yells at him for something as simple as just saying he wants his dad. And I am not, I cannot explain this enough to parents or to, to somebody who doesn't have kids. That moment happens to every parent and not under the same stresses, you know, where, where Molly leaves for a weekend for a conference or something. And when they're real little, they're like, I miss my mom. And they're like, you know, just freaking out and having a fit over it. When they're you know usually younger than seven, but but and and you're in your mind you're like, well I can't get her, can I? I can't call her right now, can I? And then you make them watch Cujo, you, and you're like, see, right now. there's not a dog trying to rip your throat out. You should love me. Yeah. You should be appreciative yeah. of what what your life yeah. is right now. You don't yeah. have any struggles. Yeah. yeah, I I am about to kill a lovely Saint Bernard. For you. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> Mickey, Mickey has slit the throat of many completely non-rabid, beautiful, like very friendly St. Bernards just to prove a point to his children. I'm a I'm a good dad. You're a good dad. Yeah. You're a good dad. Um, I, I would put this if you're gonna like there are movies that are much more traumatizing to children than this movie. I'll, I'll put it that way. That are kids' movies. So I, I say, I say, take this for a Friday night. Throw it on the old, the old VHS DVD Blu-ray. Sit down with your twelve-year-old. Watch a film and talk about it afterwards. Trust me on this one, people. That's my recommendation. I'm putting it out there. I couldn't disagree with you more. I think you really should get this on beta. That's where my disagreement lies on beta. Who are you recommending this to? 
<laughs> there. <laughs> um, uh, who do I recommend this to? I think if you're a fan of Stephen King, this is definitely worth checking out. Although I will, I'm going to keep a very uh, 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 worn out copy of Cujo in the uh, in the <laughs> in the store and be like, hey, maybe you like reading? Read this. Read this. <laughs> um, but I would say check out the movie before you see. Uh, I f- I feel like sometimes you don't want to see the movie before you read the book. I think this is a situation where it's like, see the movie before you read the book and then go read the book. You know, that's um, what I'm going to do. Uh, I think, I think you'll have a, a deeper love for the story. Uh, and I don't think it'll affect how much you like the movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I agree with you. I kind think of, kind of, Yeah. No, I, I was just to say it's, it's like a nice entry point into the story. If you've been reserved on reading the Cujo book, maybe watch the movie first and see if you like, you know, kind of the story. Now go read the book where, you know, how you're so happy that Ted lived at the end of the movie. You'll love the book. <laughs> and I'll definitely rent this to a lot of like, like young kids. Like, are you seven? Why are you in here by yourself? Take this movie with you and watch it. And 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 let me tell you, especially kids that are coming in, they're just drinking, you know, hydrate like they're not hydrated. They're drinking monsters. Yeah, yeah. That's dehydrating. How important? Yeah. If you want to tell a kid like how important hydration is, parents, put on this movie, man. You they will drink water so much afterwards. Yeah, and the importance of uh, gun control. You know? Yes. You want a gun on you. Put a gun on your seven-year-old child. Yeah. Give them a bottle, like a case of water, some Mm -hmm. protein bars, and like a big-ass truck. I think that... (laughs) (laughs) Um, I mean, like, if you had all those things, you'd be... (laughs) That's who I I recommended to, seven-year-olds who come in here by themselves. Um, and then also I, I have a copy of it where like, you know, I'm looking for like a, I'm looking for like a monster movie, but where the monster is like a, like a, like a real thing, like Jaws. Like I've seen Jaws. What else, what else do you have to offer? I'm like, you should, you, you need to see Cujo. Mm-hmm. Not as good as Jaws, but you need to see it. Yeah, and then and then watch The Mist. Or have you returned? <laughs> yeah, good, good. <laughs> That's good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if you've read the book, watch Mist. The Mist. <laughs> um, <laughs> ah, fuck it. I I can't remember. Had something. You destroyed it with your wonderful joke and point of view, which I don't mind. Because I appreciate it, I appreciate it. I appreciate you. You, you, you're my Vic. Aw, well, you're my Kemp. (laughs) 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 Thank you so much for listening. Where can people follow us on Instagram if they want to follow us? Also on Instagram at the Return Slot underscore of Horror Pod. 
And where else might they check out some of our stuff, Mickey? Well, you can also find us on um, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Uh, please rate and review, as well as we are filling out our letterboxed as we speak. It should be finished by the summer with all the sections as they are talked about on the podcast. You'll see every movie, where they belong, in every section. So you can go back and kind of peruse that. And if you want to write reviews on the movies, you can do that there too. So thank you for listening and good night.